You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello and welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. Really, really excited about the podcast episode we have coming your way today. We are joined by Kevin Flaherty a national writer for 24-7 Sports and a KU football expert. We're (laughs) going to talk to him about all things Kansas football. We're going to talk about our biggest storyline heading into the season. Then we're going to draft the position groups, go through and pick and rank them all and see where we stand. And then we'll kind of wrap up with some big picture thoughts on Kansas football heading into the season. Fall camp, of course, is set to start on Tuesday, August 2nd. Players report on Monday, August 1st. So, Football is right around the corner. Kevin, how excited are you for the return of football season? Recruiting is slowing down, so football's back. How excited are you? Well, you know, it, it's funny because I feel like Lance Leipold talked about how the end of the season really propelled them, you know, through this offseason. But from a, a fan standpoint or, or somebody who wants to see, you know, what's next for Kansas, it's been a really, really long wait since that game against West Virginia. And so as much uh, positive talk as there has been, as much development as there's been physically, you know, you and I both went out to camps and and saw the players, you know, and and kind of how the bodies have changed a little bit. I'm, I'm pretty excited for them to actually get on the football field and talking season be over and, and get ready for, for actual football season again. Definitely. You mentioned it's talking season and we'll, kind of put an end to talking season here maybe today as, as fall camp gets started and things get really hectic. But I want to start here, Kevin, and then we can do the position drafts in a second. What's kind of your your biggest storyline heading into the season so far? Well, I think, you know, it, and this may sound strange, but I think it's the confidence level that mm. Kansas has, whether it's the coaches that you talk to, whether it's the players, whether it's certain players' parents that we've run into. You know, I, I feel like even – over the last, you know, 2010 until now, the the dark ages in Kansas football, if you want to call it, there have been time periods where people have have kind of said the right things, like, oh, we're moving in the right direction, you know, things like that. But you haven't felt the confidence, right? Mm. Like, it, it's felt quite a bit a lot of times, like, well, okay, you're saying this now in, you know, May and June, but what happens in that first game when things aren't going your way, when you fumble, is everybody still confident or is everybody kind of still hanging their head and, you know, saying, here we go again. And I I think one of the interesting things, you know, and you had such great coverage of, uh, 
of Big 12 Media Days, one of the interesting things that Leipold talked about there, I thought, was how big the Texas game was, not in terms of them winning necessarily. Obviously, that was big. But in terms of the fact that, to that point, I think they were 1-8. and eight. You know, they had very little to play for. They're not going to a bowl game. You know, and so it's tough when you have that going on with your team. It's very easy to lose your team. For mm-hmm. them to say, hey, we – we're going into Austin. We're going on the road. There's not really anything to play for it. And you go there and and you lose by 30 points. And the thing that he seemed most pleased with, you know, maybe even more than the win was the fact that these were guys who could have bought out. They could have, they could have checked out and and they didn't. The fact that they showed up and, and played the way that they did and and were rewarded for it. uh, I think that all three of those parts were, were really important. The fact that they showed up the way that they did, the fact that they were able to win the game. And I think that that helps the coaches too, because of the fact that the coaches are able to say, see, look, like when you, when you do what we're telling you to, when you, when you execute like this, you know, it it does pay off in the win loss column. Mm -hmm. And so I do think there's a higher level of confidence. I can remember, you know, maybe since, you know, Turner Gill took over, and so I do think that that's something that I've noticed maybe this offseason more than in previous offseasons. Definitely. I think you picked up on that confidence a little bit at Big 12 Media Days. Sure. And I think there's a intersection here of the level of confidence, but also I think being realistic as well for what this team could accomplish. You know, I think you look at the roster still in a, kind of a, a rebuilding process of trying to get the right players in for the right scheme for what – you know, Brian Borland wants to do on defense. Andy Koldenecki wants to do on offense. And I think for me, my big storyline going into fall camp is how does the depth pan out? Because I think you look at the the two deep and you feel really good about your starters on both sides of the ball, being able to compete at the Big 12 level and being able to keep things competitive. But how often are all 22 of your starters available to play every single snap? That doesn't happen very much, right? Football is very much a war of attrition over the course of the season. So for me, I look at depth and how do some of these young players come along over the course of fall camp, first few weeks of the season, to where maybe when kind of those injuries and nicks and bruises start to happen midway through the season, are those guys ready to step up, right? I'm sure we'll talk about some specific position groups here in a second, but for me, the depth is the big question for me because you like what you have at a lot of these positions at the starting position, but then you go behind them and it's a question of, okay, is this person young or is this person old, but should they really be at this level, right, playing for a Power 5 football team? That's kind of the question I have. But Yeah, and I think, you know, you make a good point in that some of, you know, there was a lot of talk about this transfer class that was a top 25 transfer class nationally. And, And I think that when you look at it, it's not just the transfer class for 2022, right? Because most of these guys are multi-year guys. And so when you look at it from that perspective, I think there are probably some players that maybe aren't going to hit the ground running for whatever reason they run into some, you know, maybe it's injuries, maybe it's, they just didn't quite pick it up quickly enough, but in a lot of ways that transfer class isn't just for 2022. We're talking about 2022 storylines, but I think a big part of 2022 is building toward 2023. And so that's where a lot of that comes in too, you know, building depth, you know, and, and long-term depth and finding mm-hmm. out which guys are good enough to play at this level, which guys are good enough to start at this level. And and obviously everybody wants it to, to pay off in terms of them winning a lot of games and, and all of those things. But, you know, 
Nick Saban built Alabama the way that he did, you know, on the process and, and getting a little better every drill, a little bit better every practice, a little bit better every day. And I think one of the things that's been encouraging about this staff is the fact that they do have that that short-term view for the long-term view of, okay, like we get you want to, you know, go out and win Big 12 titles, but how about you do a little better on this bench press yeah. wrap than you did yesterday? And that's that's really how you build an effective program. And I think they've talked about that a lot, right? Getting 1% better every day is kind sure. of being the, the mantra. And I thought it was very interesting too, like the, the idea of belief, right? You look at this roster as a whole, it's won one big 12 game over the last two seasons. And you mentioned that Texas game earlier, right? And the idea of building belief over the course of time, I think is something that the staff has worked really hard with. So Let's move into the position draft sure. because I am such an incredibly gracious host. I will <laughs> let you go first um, and talk and draft your first position, Kevin, with the number one overall pick here. Who are you going to take? I uh, I think I will be taking my talents to the running back room. <laughs> um, I, I think that that's kind of the easy number one pick with Kansas, yeah. right? Because not only do you have production and proven production, you know, you have two running backs who went for over 700 yards last mm-hmm. year in Devin Neal and Kai Thomas, you've got guys that I I know this is a little off topic, but it feels like a lot of times when guys achieve at Kansas, you know, maybe the national view is okay. This guy achieved because somebody had to rush for yards. You know, like it's not that this guy is actually that good, but when you look at Kansas's running back room, there's only one five-star running back in the big 12 for this next year. It's B. John Robinson at Texas. Everybody else was a four-star below. And Kansas has three four-star running backs, three guys who are, you know, according to our recruiting analysts and everything who look, you know, primarily at, at talent and ceiling and all of those things. Kansas has three running backs who could play pretty much anywhere. And, yep. and Devin Neal and, and Kai Thomas, and then adding Sabion Morrison from Nebraska. And I think, you know, it, it's almost unfair even to cut it off at that because, talking to different people through the spring, there were some people who thought Daniel Hyshaw looked as good as any of them. And Hyshaw was, was a guy that was a high school quarterback, you know, came to college, you know, flipped to running back and was second on the team in rushing and had that 87 yard game against Texas tech that, that almost helped Kansas to win it in Lubbock. And so when you, when you look at the depth of that room, having four legitimate Big 12 backs and guys that are legitimately talented and potentially, you know, in the right situation, you know, could be getting looks uh, in the NFL and and different things like that. It's a different situation than what Kansas has been in at that position. 100%. And I think it fits into the identity I think this team is going to have this fall where they're going to try and run the ball a lot. I think I mentioned this on past podcasts before, but it's going to be a little bit like Big 10 football where they're going to try and shorten these games and really run the ball, try and play good defense. And that's why you saw so many defensive additions, right? 15 total over the course of the offseason between high schools, transfers, and JUCOs. And I think that the running back room is a really good example of that's your strength, lean on your strength. Sure. And that's what they're really going to try and do this fall with the running backs. I think you mentioning Daniel Hyshaw is a really good point because you look at what he did in his freshman season, right? Produced. And then all yep. of a sudden, last season has the injury, right? And then comes back, has a really good spring. And you're looking at Andy Kotelnicki and what he does with the running back position, right? He's got the saying, a pair and a spare. Well, you've got a pair, a spare, and a spare. You yeah. know, like, you've got 
four guys that over the course of a season you'll be able to rely on in varying roles. And I'm really interested to see how they decide to do that, right? Are there going to be more two running back sets? Is someone like Sevion Morrison going to be used out of the slot at all? How are they going to move these guys around to try and lean on that strength so that you're not maybe having to lean on the wide receiver room, which I'm sure will come towards the near or maybe not, maybe the end of the podcast. But moving to my first pick, second pick overall, I'm going to take the safeties room. I think you're looking at your two starters there, Kenny Logan and Marvin Grant. I'd argue probably one of the better safety tandems in the Big 12, right? Kenny Logan last year, the only safety in college football with 113 tackles, six pass breakups, and multiple forced fumbles. I mean, that's just incredible production from (laughs) Kenny Logan. And I think this year, too, you look at this room, if Kenny Logan leads the team in tackles, I think that's a bad sign. Because I think you're hoping someone like Marvin Grant can help take some of that off his plate. And for me, going into fall camp, I wonder, is Kenny Logan going to be playing closer to the line of scrimmage like he was last season? Or is the addition of Marvin Grant, who had 84 tackles and two tackles for loss last season, or is Marvin Grant going to be that guy that plays closer to the line of scrimmage, right? So you've got really good starters there. And then depth-wise, you add someone like Jarrett Paul from Eastern Michigan. He played corner at Eastern Michigan last season, has played some safety during his time in college as well. So we offer some versatility there as well. Of course, you got a guy like Jalen Dye, a junior college transfer you got from the West Coast. He'll probably be more of a special teams guy if I had to guess this year. And then, of course, you can't not mention O.J. Burroughs, who sure. produced last year in his first season with the program. I wonder, too, does O.J. Burroughs maybe redshirt this year? You play him in four games, buy him an extra year at the back end of his eligibility while you have all these veteran guys at safety. So for you, Kevin, I guess maybe I hit all the boxes, but what, what stands out to you about the safety's room and what maybe questions do you have heading into the fall? No, I'm really glad you ended on O.J. Burroughs because mm-hmm. I feel like one of the things that's such a positive about this group this year is O.J. Burroughs and Jason Gilliam don't have to play, right? Like that's that's one of the main differences from last year. Those guys had four starts between them last year. And, and, and it's not that they can't play. It's not that O.J. Burroughs isn't going to be very good or, or Jason Gilliam isn't going to be very good. It's that you don't want them to have to be when they're that young. You know, if a guy comes in and he's just, you know, an NFL guy right away and you have to get him on the field, that's one thing. But, you know, Akeem Tlaib came in as a safety and redshirted his first year and then moved positions, you know, partway through the next year. And so even guys who are NFL guys, sometimes it it takes them a little while to, to hit the ground. And when you look at, you know, Marvin Grant, when you look at, Jarrett Paul, you know, as a guy who plays a, a different role and may kind of play that nickel corner safety as somebody who's played both corner and safety in the past. Like you said, you know, Jalen Dye I thought was a really good pickup in that he's not necessarily somebody you need to start this year, but he's somebody you might need to start in a year or two. And, mm-hmm. and bring him in this year, he learns the system, he does all of those different things. You know, I, I think the other thing that, that's kind of cool about this too is – I loved Kansas's freshman class, like the the guys who were incoming at safety. When you look at Caleb Purdy and Mason Ellis, you know, Caleb Purdy reminds me a lot of those Iowa State safeties that always get all Big 12 mentioned mm-hmm. and are kind of all over the field. Mason Ellis, Kansas doesn't usually see six foot two safeties that, you know, run in the mid four fives, you know, like Mason Ellis did 
last year going through the camp circuit and everything. And so you've got a guy in Ellis who has this frame to get big, right? He's six foot two, could wind up being a strong safety. You've got Caleb Purdy, who is sort of your classic center field, I feel like, free safety. You know, O.J. Burroughs is kind of that classic center field free safety. Edwin White Schultz is a guy that maybe would play a little closer to the box. And so you've got versatility and you've got even beyond the two deep, you've got young guys that can continue to develop there. hundred percent. Mason Ellis is your guy, isn't he? Like that. I, I, I really liked him, you know, I, and, and I liked him, you know, coming out of his junior year, I understood cause he had an injury. And mm-hmm. so I think everybody kind of wanted to see him play, see him run around, see all of those different things. But he ran four four one at Sharp. He ran, I think, four four three at K State. Ran four four nine at Kansas, at six foot two and one hundred eighty five pounds. I mean, and, and that's not everything, but he he backed that up on tape too. He, mm-hmm. he played really well. And so, when, when you look at at a guy who can continue to develop his body because he is kind of a skinnier guy right now, and and all of those things, I do think Mason Ellis has has a chance to be one of those guys that you know three or four years from now everybody's like, well, where did this guy come from? You know, he's he's got all these terrific measurables. You know, how, how did he wind up in this spot? And, and quite honestly, if he hadn't gotten hurt, you know, I, I don't know that he wouldn't have been a consensus, you know, top five, top ten guy in the state last mm, year. Definitely. All right, so for you, your second pick overall, third position group we're going to take here, right? Uh, who are you going to go with? At number three overall, I am taking the fighting Jared Casey's, uh, the tight end group. You know, it's it's interesting because I know this is where we diverge a little bit. A little bit. And I feel like one and two, you know, we were – if you had the first pick, you know, you were going to go running backs and I was going to go safeties and vice versa. But I think the tight end group, when you look at it, especially in comparison to other Big 12 tight end groups – the depth is so impressive. I mean, you have Mason Fairchild, who who started quite a bit, came a really long way, I thought, as a blocker over the course of last year. I mean, you watched the early games, and Mason was struggling quite a bit more in those areas. You watched some of the midseason and later games, and you're like, man, that, that was a really good blocking rep from Mason Fairchild. He's got good hands. Trevor Cardell was a kid I really liked out of high school because mm-hmm. he was basically this big framed wide receiver who was going out and out running people. And you're like, well, he's going to be 50 pounds heavier <laughs> when he plays in college. And so I was really interested to see what that looks like. And I thought Cardell had some really good moments. You know, he had a good moment against Texas. He was he was a guy that, that got a little banged up, I think, at the end of the year. But even so... You know, I thought he really came a long way. We we all know about the Plainville assassin, you know, Jared Casey and, and what he did <laughs> late late in the year. You know, the, the catch against Texas, if that was it, I think that we'd be like, oh, okay, he, he was the guy that made the catch against Texas. But then he goes out and makes a couple outrageous mm-hmm. catches, catches a touchdown in each of the next two games, and you're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> like, where, where did this come from? And, and obviously – you know, Casey's a, a walk-on or, or came into the program as a walk-on. But at the same time, you know, he showed that on a Big 12 football field on, on Saturdays, he was somebody who was capable of making plays. Tavita Noah was a guy yeah. who was committed to TCU and and really uh, he went to their camp, did really well. I think ran around 4-7 flat was what 
Jeremy Clark said. So really good athlete with as big as he is, looks good physically. You've seen him. I mean, he, he looks the part. And then just to throw kind of the, the one last thing in there, Will Huggins had that really big spring game, you know, last year's spring game right before Leipold and them took on mm-hmm. it. And Huggins was another guy who was always kind of a bigger wide receiver as opposed to a classic inline tight end, which is what they want. Will Huggins on the roster is 255 pounds. So maybe, just maybe, I mean, there's crowded stuff in front of him, but maybe, just maybe, he's he's got the frame and the bulk and everything now to where he can start to show off as a blocker some of the things that he showed as a receiver. Yeah, maybe. I think the thing that doing some research on the tight ends that shocked me was Trevor Cardell played the most snaps of any tight end. Yeah. Of course, if you look at the pro football focus snap counts, that surprised me. Sure. I thought Mason sure. Fairchild was going to be that guy, and I think the blocking issues probably limited that. And for me, when I look at this group, the reason I didn't have him maybe higher is I still just wonder, is blocking-wise, are they good enough now? And sure. overall, just I think talent-wise, are they at the level of some of these other position groups now where – I think Tavide Noah, you know, you look what he brings, right? He looks like an offensive lineman, six foot four, 256. A big dude. Huge dude. And you watch him spring practice and you're like, that looks like an extra offensive lineman. He's going to help with that blocking stuff. But I just wonder some of these other guys, like how are they going to fit in? So that's why I didn't have him that high, which allows me to take with the fourth overall pick, the linebacker room. Oh, yeah, that's a position. If we were doing this last year, this might have been bottom. If we're doing sure. like a postseason, I, I think last year it probably would have been my bottom yeah. if we're all if we're honest. And now all of a sudden you look at what they've done. You know, Chris Simpson deserves a lot of credit. The coaching staff, the sure. recruiting staff, they all deserve, deserve a ton of credit for what they've done here, right? Where I wrote for our VIP subscribers on Sunday, you know, doing some expectation stuff. Like when Eric Gilliard committed in December, you thought, okay, this guy will probably start for you. Now, all of a sudden, you look what they did this year or in the spring, and you're like, okay, Eric Gilliard now all of a sudden is a really good backup. Sure. And that speaks to what this staff has done, where I think the guy that I am most excited to watch, hands down, second to none, is Craig Young. This is the yeah. type of guy that Kansas does not get. You know, I, you just look at his athleticism, right? He ran in the four fives at Ohio State. He says he's faster now than he was then. He's six foot three, 225, long arms. Like, Brylon Borland got giddy when we asked him about him during spring practice. Like, these are types of guys that don't go to Kansas, don't go to Buffalo, and yet Kansas now has one. And then you look at what you have in terms of the returning production, right? Rich Miller played, uh, what was it, 80% of the snaps last year, 73 tackles, right? And so you look at him coming back, and – He's probably going to start at Will Linebacker. And then at your Mike Linebacker spot, you've got someone like Lorenzo McCaskill, who has played over 1,500 snaps of college football, was a part of that turnaround under Billy Napier at Louisiana, and, of course, has the connection with Chris Simpson because Buffalo was his first offer. And so there's already a relationship there, player and coach. McCaskill, you look at the pictures from official visit. I mean, (laughs) Kevin, you and I aren't jacked, right, by any means. No, no, absolutely not. Right. You see some of those photos that come out and he just looks jacked. And so we'll see what happens. Right. Being jacked like that is different than being in football shape. But I think you look at just top to bottom this room. Now you go from last year where you really felt good about one linebacker being Rich Miller, Gavin Potter. So, so right. Depends on who you talk to. We'll give you a differing opinion. Um, And now all of a sudden you look at it, you've got a legit two deep. If you include Tywin Berryhill there. And the question now, I think I brought up with the safeties. Can you redshirt Tywin Berryhill? 
because he hasn't used that red shirt yet. You've got enough guys under him, right? Think about someone like Cornell Wheeler, Krishan Brown as guys that maybe can step into that sixth linebacker role. So overall for me, I think I'm getting a steal here at, you know, number four overall. I had, you know, I had them number three for me. So I guess for you, Kevin, like when I say linebackers, like what do you think of? So I had linebacker number six. And the reason reason I had linebacker number six was just. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. There are a lot of really interesting pieces, Mm. but very few that are proven at the University of Kansas. And and I think when... um, when I was looking at tight end, I, I do agree. I think you have a lot of depth there for the tight end spot, but you don't necessarily have a guy that would jump out where you're like, that's an all big 12 guy. Whereas I think that one of the things you look at at linebacker, Renzo McCaskill, maybe an all big 12 guy. And, and so, and so I get it. McCaskill's a guy I'm incredibly high on. I mean, yeah. you go back and watch him at Louisiana. He was terrific. They played, at Texas to open last year. I know our Texas people at, at 24 seven, like they, the ones who walked around on the field, they felt like he looked like he belonged on, on that kind of football field, even with all those athletes and everything all around. And so you, you talk about Craig Young being a 10, 600 meter guy, you know, as a linebacker. And, and, you know, I know we, we talked about the safety spot and everything and, and Paul kind of being maybe that nickel safety. I, I think, you know, that's a really interesting spot for Craig Young, too, mm-hmm. because Craig Young gives you the bigger option where you can basically play three linebackers and not lose athleticism when Young is is that quote-unquote nickel guy. I think Paul's the guy you tap into when you almost want a third corner mm-hmm. out yeah. there at that spot. And so it, it is kind of an interesting deal. I know, you know, Eric Gilliard is is probably the most accomplished potential backup if he does wind up being a backup that that just about anybody would have. Taiwan Berryhill has has a lot of ability, and people forget that he started four games last year. He was somebody that that they thought maybe had a had a chance to do something. I really liked Krishan Brown out of high school. I know he hasn't played yet. He hasn't really gotten a chance to show that. I think there's some interesting physical ability there he was small coming out of high school so it was always going to take him a little while for the body to to maybe catch up to the game a little bit and then like you said the Cornell Wheeler kid people forget about it because he he transferred in from Michigan and then redshirted last year and so when you're looking at this group and and you're trying to hammer out the two deep I feel like people 
don't even mention him because they don't think about him. But I mean, he's he's a guy that's got some ability too. So yeah. I, I do think, like I said, I do think that I like linebackers' potential. And I think that if we redid this and say week 10, there's a chance mm. that I would have linebacker higher. Yeah. But for me now, you know, I like Rich Miller a lot. I think that on some of Kansas's better linebacking groups in the 2000s, you know, Rich Miller would have maybe been like your number three guy rather than your no doubt number one guy. And, and so that leaves it maybe a little further back for me. But if Rich Miller continues to grow and, and don't, forget like he didn't even start the first three games the last year yeah if he continues to grow and develop and that's certainly there if mccaskill plays up to his ability if craig young plays up to his athleticism this is a group that gets you pretty excited pretty quickly i think yeah i totally agree and i think i probably am there's a lot of projection here with this one but this is one i'm going to get out in front of and i'll put my name on it right now i got him for my pick all right for you now let's let's move down this is where i think things get really interesting because sure. I think if you're sorting the roster into tiers, like you said, right, you, your safety and running back is in your tier one. And then you kind of get into the second tier where it seems like there's a lot more uh, you can make arguments for either one. So sure. for you, I think we're looking at this now, your, your third pick, um, the fifth pick overall, who are you going to take? Yeah, I'm going to go with quarterback. You know, I when I was when I was going through, um, I, I wrote an article for for 24-7 on the nation's best quarterback rooms. And the one thing that I found was that the really elite rooms that, that you really liked, they had a star quarterback, right? Like, mm -hmm. obviously, like you want to have CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or, or Caleb Williams or whoever. The really good ones also had an experienced backup, right? And they had a quarterback that they were developing for the future that they really liked. Now, I, I'm not saying Kansas has like a top 10 quarterback room in the country, but I am saying, doesn't Kansas kind of fit that formula? Like you look at Jalen Daniels, the way that he played at the end of the year. I mean, he's kind of the face of the program in, in a lot of ways right now. Jason Bean, you know, not only did he start for most of last year, he almost led KU to a win over Oklahoma. So it's not like he's a backup where – if your quarterback has to go out for a play or two, you're like, oh my gosh, our program is dead. And, and then you look at Ethan Vasco. And, and mm. part of the reason I like looking at Vasco is I think it's very instructive on the way the staff looks at quarterbacks. And, and when you saw them evaluating quarterbacks at camp last year, I know you had a little more of a chance to see them this year in the way they evaluated quarterbacks with the guys that they had come through camp and everything. They want a middle infielder for a quarterback, you know, somebody who can make the scoop, have quick hands, get the ball out, and, and can make throws from different arm angles as needed, right? Like if the play breaks down, the play's not done. And, and mm -hmm. I think that Vasco is the kind of loose athlete that they really value in those spots, somebody that can make plays off schedule, off rhythm, you know, when – when you do your five-step drop and you're looking around and nothing's there and you need to extend the play, Vasco has a lot of that. He has a lot of that athleticism that that plays up, the ability to make throws from different arm angles, the really loose, easy arm. And, and you know, Ben Easters was a guy that, that was probably a better fit under Brent Deerman, you know, because 
they did run so many RPOs at mm. his high school. You know, he was familiar with the system and, and all of those things. And I'm not saying Deerman, you know, I'm not saying that Easters is going to, you know, yield that number three spot to Vasco. Like, obviously, if you're KU, you'd probably want a redshirt Vasco anyway. But I am saying that I think that Vasco is maybe the higher ceiling option when you look at that quarterback room moving on a little bit. But I, I got to read this for you real quick on Jalen Daniels, right? So ESPN put up this graphic uh, at Big 12 Media Days, and you were down on the floor. But it oh. showed it in Jalen Daniels' three starts, right, it, at the end of the Big 12 season. He was first in the Big 12 in touchdowns responsible for. He was second in the Big 12 in ESPN's QBR, which is their, like, weird quarterback rating thing. Um, second in the Big 12 in completion percentage. And he was third in just pure passing yards. And so when you look at that, I get, you know, small sample size. I, I 100% get that. It's mm-hmm. it's three games. You know, some people would probably look at those games that they were against. You know, Texas, not a great team. TCU, had you know parted ways with his coach or him yeah. parting ways with them, you know, however you want to put it. Um, West Virginia was not a great team last year. And, and so I, I get that there are reasons to be a little bit hesitant about it. But I also think that that gives an indicator for just how well Jalen Daniels played over, over those three games, even if it was a small sample size. Yeah. And I think it, at the end of the day too, right? Those are the teams that KU needs to be. Sure. We're going to get, takes up forward right you know whether it be getting a multiple big 12 win season you need to do that before you can even talk about bowl games right and so i think just for jalen daniels to do it against that competition i still think is positive you mentioned ethan vasco i think the the buzz on him has been undeniable now we'll see what it is when the pads come on and the bullets are flying at fall camp right that's a big caveat here but i think seeing vasco at camp he does not look like an 18-year-old. There might be 19 now. I'm not sure. But he does not look like he's 18 or 19 years old. Like, he is ripped. And that was before, really, the full summer, right? We're talking mid-June yeah. here. So they had all of July to do work with him, too. So, you know, the buzz on him has been pretty positive. I think for me, like, people aren't going to care. But the quarterback, the, you know, the third-string quarterback battles, what I'm interested in, you know, for this position to fall sure. camp. Because I think we all know Jalen Daniels is the starter. We all know Jason Bean is the starter, too, right? And so you look at the team overall and what this is going to lead to. You have a really good quarterback. And I think you look at the Big 12, you know, who do you take Jalen Daniels over, right? Like, I think you take him over Duggan at TCU. I take him over Adrian Martinez at at Kansas State, I think. I think you take him over Deckers at Iowa State. You know, I think he's not proven yet. And then uh, Shook at TC or Texas Tech. Like, you've got a middle of the conference quarterback like that's huge and so sure. i think overall you got to be feel pretty good about the quarterback spot and now this puts me in a tough position because now this is where i get into the i can make an argument for and against any pick and so <laughs> i think for me going into this i kind of thought this is where I, I would be picking between defensive tackle and offensive line and i'm gonna take offensive line and that's right where I had him, by the way. I, I just think that's where you have to go. And I, I had him at five. You're getting him at six. So good, good value. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you look at the group, the staff feels really good about the five they have, right? You think about yeah. Bryce Cabaldu at uh, right tackle, you know, Mike Ford probably paying left guard or uh, sorry, right guard. And then Mike Nvitsi at center. 
And the guy I'm real excited to see this fall is Armaj Reed Adams. Yes. You look at the work that he has done. He deserves a ton of credit for the work that he has put in with the coaching staff where he's lost 15 pounds. There's some photos up on Twitter that he tweeted of himself without a shirt on and looks just shredded. And for someone to be his size with his length and his weight now at 310 pounds to be that shredded, I think is incredible, especially of where he came from in terms of his reporting weight. And then of course you have Robostic who is a middle of the road offensive tackle in the big 12. And then for me, you look at the five and you're like, that is a good enough offensive line for KU, which when was the last time we said that, right? They've had it's a key which was great, but he had, you know, I mean, Oppy main and Adiago Lopetti next to him. Right. And it's just like, you look at the difference now, where you feel good about the five you have. And you look at what they did last year, right? The fewest sacks allowed in the Big 12. Now, I point to, you know, running the ball and that being an area for improvement, but your tight ends didn't block in the run game for half the season last year. So now you're hoping those guys take a step forward. The offensive line can take a step forward there. The question is depth. You've got one guy, really, DeAndre Dwarren, that you feel good about. Outside of that, it's a big question mark in terms of depth. Yeah, I think that's the biggest concern when you look at this group is you feel like the starting lineup is pretty solid. Like you said, that, you know, it's it's mostly experienced guys. You know, Reed Adams even has a start or two under his belt. You know, the thing that I don't think a lot of people understand about Reed Adams was, you know, he was 329 pounds uh, when he showed up at a camp when he was at DeSoto High School. And he had, I think, a seven foot wingspan there. And he ran a shuttle that was like an NFL lineman shuttle. And he ran it at 329. And so you look at a guy who comes in who gets up, you know, closer to 400 pounds. I mean, it, not to put too fine a point on it, but, I mean, he was he was right around there. Um, when you look at a guy who does that and then puts in all the work that he does to get back down to 310, I think it's really exciting because yeah. you could see some of that quickness and, and everything pay off that made him an interesting prospect in the first place. I, I think you hit the nail on the head too, with regard depth, because that's what makes this the scariest position to pick in the draft. And, and I don't think, you know, even if Jalen Daniels goes out and, you know, knock on wood, you know, steps in a five foot pothole and injures his leg tomorrow, you know, you're, you're going to be kind of okay with Jason Bean. You know, if Devin Neal, you know, trips over somebody's, you know, Humvee or something like walking down Mass Street, you, you've got other guys there. But the offensive line, we're really not sure, you know, what that looks like outside of those top five guys. I mean, you're hoping what Dominic Puny, you know, maybe gets one of those interior spots, a guy who's coming up from Division Two, you know, uh, Nolan Gorzicka is kind of a swing guy, maybe a little bit, you know, Dekedrick Stearns has kind of been on the two deep, but you, you know, it, it's not really, do you trust that guy to come in and, and start, you know, if you have an injury, I really liked Joe Baker, you know, out of this last recruiting class, but he was like 250, you know, 260 pounds in high school. He's not ready. And, mm. and so when, when you look at that group, that's the one group that if you said, hey, you can sprinkle fairy dust and and make one of these groups have perfect health for the whole season, yeah. it would be the offensive line. And, and so I do think that, that that's such an interesting group. I think I really liked what Michael Ford showed at times last year. And I think that Bostic is a guy that maybe has an outside shot 
at all big 12 honors. You know, I don't think he's in that like main group, but he's somebody that's maybe just outside where he could be getting honorable mention next year. And I do think Nowitzki is going to be one of the best centers in the big 12. And so that starting lineup, you know, you, you feel pretty good about it as a group. And then after that point, you're just, you know, it's the old Braves saying, you know, when they had Warren Spahn and, and Johnny Sane and nothing else was, you know, basically throw Spawn insane and pray for rain. And in this case, you know, you, you've got for got five and and you're hoping everybody stays alive, I guess, for a really bad rhyme at that spot. Oh, that's going to show our age gap here. I have no clue who you're talking about. (laughs) Let's let's use that as a segue here. Who are you going to take next? This is where I think things get real interesting. So who's up next? Yeah, because you were talking about the defensive tackles, and this is exactly where I had the defensive ends at number seven. Oh, and oh. so I'm going to take the defensive ends and, and I can see you over there, you know, nope. throwing stuff. You know, it's a good thing your <laughs> arms on, aren't on camera. I saw you just clear off the entire table. So I, I, you know, I think when I look at defensive tackle and defensive end, you know, I think defensive tackle has more bodies like there's better depth there in terms of guys that I would feel good about going into the game but I don't know that there's a defensive tackle that I like as much as Lonnie Phelps I don't know that there is a number two defensive tackle because you're talking about the number two defensive tackle potentially being Keenan Caldwell or Sam Burt I don't know that I trust that person as much as I trust Malcolm Lee okay And when you're looking at the upside options, I feel like at defensive tackle, you're talking, there are a couple really good, you know, upside options that I'm sure you'll get into, into next. And the ends and tackles were so tight for me. Like it was, it was a really tough one, but I think that when you look at the upside options, I think I would feel better maybe about Davion Westmoreland, you know, being a guy that climbs into the starting lineup and has an impact at some point during the season than I do about the the young guys at defensive tackle. And so I think that's probably where it comes in. You have some other interesting guy. Jeremy Robinson's played a lot of football. He's had a couple good moments here and there, you know, mm-hmm. Zion DeBose, if he's healthy, you know, maybe there's, there's something he can bring to that group. You know, you, you had the great write-up on, um, what the what to expect from the newcomers it looks like dean miller is probably mm. going to red shirt but he's somebody for for down the line yeah. the other really interesting guy i think in this group just because he's filling out well now you know he's starting to put on weight and while he was really raw coming in i think we can all admit he had some athletic gifts is demarion alexander and i'm not saying he's going to break into that group or anything like that I'm just saying that if you're looking at this group and you build out the two deep and there's somebody who's not on the two deep that you're like, Hey, this guy could eventually be something someday. If, you know, if things work out, you know, he's, he's somebody there. And and I think too, you know, you look at how much Hayden Hatcher had to play early last year. And I think that this year there's, there's a little more depth in that group where maybe that's not going to be, as necessary nothing nothing against Hayden I I just I do think that there's a little more depth this year than maybe what you had yeah so all right so starting with the defensive ends um I'll kind of merge this in because I'll take defensive tackles with my pick you have Lonnie Phelps right so if you're going to rank I think the the two groups together right Lonnie Phelps would be at the top 
I look second overall at Caleb Sampson for me, same, you know, being same. the second pick. And he's going to be your starter at one of those defensive tackle spots, I think. And I think those two are your 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 top two at both spots. Yep. And then you get into that next tier, and just Malcolm Lee doesn't do it for me. I think for me personally, sure. I just look for more production. That's that's for me my big thing with Malcolm Lee, right? I think he's a good player. He's played a ton of football, right? But I think you look at him last year, right? 23 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, and one and a half sacks. And he played the sixth most snaps of anyone on defense. I just, I'd like some more production if we're going to take that guy that high. Now, obviously, you can totally point the defensive tackles last year and them struggling. I think a change in scheme will help them this year. And again, this is another one where I'm projecting a little bit because you hear Lance Leipold talk about how they're going to play on edges more. And I think you heard the defensive tackles coach, Jim Panagos, talk about it during the spring, too, of being more. Uh, relying on athleticism. And so I think these guys will be able to play with more of a push up front this year. Obviously, I think Eddie Wilson's had a really strong spring and off season um, after he was a little bit banged up last year. And so I think for him getting back to hundred percent is a big deal. So I think you're probably looking at Wilson and Caleb Sampson being probably your two starters, but I- I'm not hundred percent sure on that. But then under him is where I think the depth maybe helps out a little bit more where I think you look at defensive end, it's like, okay, Davion Westmoreland, right? You've got more of a range of outcomes with him. Sure. Gonna, I think you could tell me by the end of the season he's starting. Cool. I could believe you. You could tell me by the end of the season he's redshirting. I believe you too because you need yeah. someone to be around for two, three years after this season. And so I'm not 100% sure with him. Dean Miller, not a huge factor this year, right? Big factor in 2023, just not this year. And so then you look at the defensive tackles group for me. You look at, you know, the guys under there, right? You know, Tommy Dunn, DJ Withers are two guys that come to mind there, right? Two younger players that I think will get some snaps this fall. And then you got Sam Burt, who I think has been around for a long time. Great culture guy, really good to have around the program and a really good leader too. And so he'll be able to add depth there as well. So I think for me, the depth of the defensive tackles room is what puts them above defensive end for me. But honestly, this is one of those where flip a coin and I think that's where you could go with because the argument can be made either way. Any other thoughts on defensive tackles? Yeah, it it was super tight. I mean, choosing between those, it it really was. I I do think – you know, Keenan Caldwell probably would be a perfect fit for what Les Miles and, and them wanted to do on defense. Like, exactly. and, and I think that he's somebody that, you know, he he obviously, you know, he started six of the last seven games last year, but he's somebody that I could see sliding down a little bit this year with, with some of those guys. Um, Caleb Taylor is yeah. a really interesting guy for me because his rise was so sort of, ascendant where like people didn't really like think about him and then he had the big spring last year and then you know he's in a spot to start four games at defensive tackle when he came in as a defensive end and so I feel like maybe Caleb Taylor doesn't get enough benefit of the doubt like in terms of a guy who you know could wind up being you know he he's still relatively early on in his development and so yeah you know, some guys you look at them and you say, well, they are what they are. And I feel like some people think that about Caleb Taylor and that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. And, and I think the, maybe the two most talented tackles, you know, are, are DJ Withers and, and Tommy Dunn. And, you know, when you, obviously they're both extremely young, you know, Dunn was a terrific job of the staff to, to kind of keep touch through all of that. Because I know from talking to other staffs, there were some people who saw Tommy Dunn's film and they're like, ah, 
for a 235, 240-pound kid, that's not that twitchy. Well, KU knew he was 270, 275 pounds while he was doing it. That makes a little bit of a difference yeah, in terms of how bit. you evaluate somebody. And, and so it, it's it's interesting. DJ Withers was like an edge rusher in high school at 245 pounds and is now, I think, listed 292. And so when you look at those guys, you know, it, it's funny – as much as I like Lonnie Phelps, and I would pick Phelps over Samson, I think if you were to ask me what guy on the defense could sort of come off the page and become an All-Big 12 guy, I might pick Caleb Sampson. I think that he he potentially has that ability. The really interesting thing to me, and I think you know, you kind of alluded to this too with, with Withers and Dunn playing snaps is how many snaps, right? Like is it – is it the tiny little bit here and there? Is it, hey, it's third and eight against Oklahoma and Kansas is still hanging around in this thing and Tommy Dunn is on the football field? Like, it, And so I think that that will really tell a lot about, you know, sort of where they're at in that defensive tackle group. Uh, but, yeah, I think, you know, you have Samson – I don't know who your second starter is, you know, which is a little different from the defensive ends. You do have the young talent, but they haven't really played as much. And so it, it is it, kind of like linebacker. It is a, a pretty high upside group, I think, yeah. as opposed to like where they sit now on, you know, July 31st or whatever. For sure. And final note on Caleb Taylor, uh, I think he put on the most weight of anyone this off season. I just looked it up 43 pounds. Uh, went from 257 to 300 pounds. Pretty big, pretty big deal. Uh, you know, when I did that, nobody made a big deal about it, except, you know, people telling me to, you know, knock back on the butt heavies. But you know, that's, <laughs> uh, that's the way it goes, I guess. Yeah, well, we all can't. Slightly different, anyway. slightly different 43 pounds, though, I'm guessing. Yeah, just a little bit. All right, so for <laughs> you, we're down to we're down to cornerback and wide receiver. Who are, who are you going to take and who am I going to get stuck with? Uh, I'm going to take cornerbacks. You know, I, I, we're, did you take wide receivers? Is that, no, I, I had cornerbacks ahead, but okay. Yeah. So, so cornerbacks is kind of tough because it's really like the outside cornerbacks group. If you think about it, because they're the guys who will play, you know, out on the edges, but the nickel spot will probably either be a safety or a linebacker a lot of the time. And so, and so there aren't as many players I feel like as you're used to seeing at, you know, cornerback or whatever because that spot's going to come from somebody different but yeah you've got Kalen Gervin who's who's played a lot of football and, and who I think is ready to step in and be pretty good you bring in Monty McGarry you know who's another you know size frame guy uh, that, that could potentially plug in and, and play and then you've got a bunch of young guys that were sort of thrown to the wolves last year with various levels of various levels of success, right? So you've got Romello Dotson, eight starts. Jacoby Bryant, seven starts. Shad Dabney, two starts. And we were talking about this with safety and how the increased depth at safety means that O.J. Burroughs isn't going to need to be out there, you know, as, as early as he was last year or in some of those same situations. And I think cornerback last year really – those guys didn't have a chance to succeed that much because they were all young. I mean, even, even I think Dotson's the most experienced out of those guys, you know, even Dotson's heading into what, like his red shirt sophomore year, I think. Something like that. I'll pull it up. But yeah, I mean, you look at those guys and, 
And even Dotson being the most experienced of those guys is somebody that you're still kind of hoping like, Hey, I hope we have more experienced guys to, to put out there, but they're all players who have now started big 12 games. They've been through a big 12 season. Shad Dabney was a guy that every opposing coach that I talked to when he was coming out, just glowed about how competitive that guy was on a snap by snap basis and and just sort of the attitude that he plays with. Obviously Jacoby Bryant made some huge plays, you know, last year. And and when you look at them adding, you know, late in the process, Brian Dilworth, the way that that worked out, you know, I, I do think that the cornerback group is, has the chance to be significantly better than it was last year. But I still think that when you look at other positions, you know, if Kalen Gervin's your top cornerback, I don't necessarily know that Gervin's an all big 12 guy where you at least see that in the range of, of options for like Caleb Sampson and Lonnie Phelps and some of the groups that, that we had before. And so I don't know that there's necessarily a star in that cornerback room, at least not for, for 2022. But I do think that, it's a bunch of guys who have all of a sudden played played quite a bit of football. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, when I look at this group, the there's a barometer here with fall camp that I have my eye on. Is Monty McGarry starting at quarterback? Sure. That's the question for me because Kalen Gervin's going to start one of those spots, right? Yeah. He's one of the leaders of the team. Uh, he's been a really great voice I've heard uh, in the locker room in terms of pulling guys along and really holding that high standard that, Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, Lance Leipold's talked a lot about player leadership, and it sounds like Kalen Gervin has been that in the locker room. Now, he's going to start, and the question is, who wins that other job? Is it Monte McGarry? Is it Jacoby Bryant? You know, is it Melo Dotson or Shad Dabney? You look at the snap counts last year, Jacoby Bryant played the most out of those returning guys. Uh, He was second most of the corners behind Jeremy Webb. He played 417 snaps. Then Romelo Dotson was next. He played 363 snaps. And then Shad Dabney played 170. 
So you're looking at Dotson playing almost double as Dabney. And when we went and talked to Jordan Peterson in the spring, he talked a lot about consistency for this group and who's going to be the most consistent. And you mentioned Shad Dabney having one of the more consistent springs. And so you bring in someone like Monty McGarry, who they the staff told him, hey, you're going to have the opportunity to compete at corner. Now you've also got guys like Jarrett Paul and Jalen Dye who have experienced sure. that cornerback as well. So this group for me, is really fascinating to see how the staff decides to use those versatile players that it does have. Because if they all of a sudden, if Jalen dies playing cornerback in midway through the season, I, I don't know what I'll think of that, right? Is that going to be a positive reflection on Jalen Dye as a player? Of course, because he's playing and he's earned that playing time. But also, what does that mean for the rest of this group? And so for me, like I have him above wide receiver just because there's not as many questions as there are with that group. Sure. But I think just for me, cornerback, right, you've got one good starter there, but the question really is who's that second starter and how much consistent play can they get from him because consistency was the issue last year. So, all right, let's get to wide receiver now. Yeah. Last. Um, <laughs> why are they last? I think for me, you look up and down, who's the wide receiver one? That is the big question. You lose Kwame Lasseter, who I think had almost double the production of LJ Arnold and Trevor Wilson. You lose someone like that, that's massive. And I think the fact that LJ Arnold almost left the program, right? He tweeted he was going to enter the transfer portal. Never happened. Katie convinced him to say, stay. The fact that he did that, and you take a look at the wide receiver room, what that would look like if LJ Arnold had left. It was grim. It, it's, a, it's a scary no, proposition. I, 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 I did not actually mean to do that. I oh swear. My that was not a that that was not a a Luke Grimm. <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh, that's great! We're keeping this. I'm, spe- I'm spending way too much time with my dad, and you know the bad puns and everything. My, my oh. nephew actually has like a bad pun book or whatever, oh, because gosh. that was not even that was not even attempted. That's funny. So that yeah. just that unfortunately, uh, and I'm sorry to your viewing audience that that just happened. Well, we'll pan back with a good take here. Um, for me, Douglas Amillion is the name. Yeah. I'm really excited to see what he does. You talk to people around the program. Some say that he's got the most talent of anyone in the wide receiver room. Obviously didn't play much at Minnesota last year. So this is purely a tape eval for the staff and relying on some past connections, whether it be Kai Thomas, who was his roommate at Minnesota or um, other coaches that maybe have connections to the Minnesota program. So for me at the end of the season, if you were to come and say, Hey, Michael, you know, who Douglas Million led the team in receiving yards, I'd say, okay, yeah, that does not surprise me. I think you look up and down, though, just there are a lot of question marks of who's going to be the guy that emerges, right? Luke Grimm produced last year. But let's put this in perspective, right? LJ Arnold, 23 catches for 316 yards. Trevor Wilson, 27 catches for 364 yards. You just look at the production, and it's not a ton. And so you're asking a lot of these guys to have all of them take simultaneously a step forward and while also integrating someone like Douglas Amillion. So for me, it's just the it's the bottom – position group because a lot of question marks of who's going to step up you lost so much production and now you're looking at this group saying teams are going to load the box against your running backs can one of these guys get open one-on-one Douglas Amillion seems like the, the best bet for that maybe Luke Grimm second but it's just a big question mark I have so well what's kind of your read on the wide receivers yeah um if you're looking for like a strong season for a wide receiver one, right? Like if you're projecting his stats out and saying, Hey, we, we had a legitimate wide receiver one this year, the benchmarks usually thousand yards, right? Mm-hmm. Thousand, eleven hundred yards. How many touchdowns would you say? Five, six, seven, something like that. Six. I think once every other game. Yeah. 
So this group, as an entire group last year, every single player in that group had 1,117 yards and seven touchdowns. And that's a lot of players. Like, yeah. and, and so... And so I think you hit the nail on the head and the, the number one thing that would help this group, it's not even necessarily that it's a bad group. It's that there needs to be a wide receiver one. There needs yeah. to be somebody that impacts the coverage of the defense. Somebody that somebody has to actually game plan for where they say like, Hey, you know, don't let this guy get his catches. He can hurt you. And that helps everybody else in the passing game, including tight ends and running backs. And I think that that's what's kind of missing out of this group. Emilian didn't have a catch last year, you know, at, at Minnesota. Yeah. And I'm like you in that I'm about as big an Emilian fan as you can find out there. You watch his tape, and he's a really dynamic route runner. And, and what I mean by that is some guys just sort of inherently have it where, you know, you see a 4-4 guy who can't get open. And you see a four six guy who's open all the time, and it's a lot of times that he understands how to move his body, how to how to get open. And you see that with a million. You see the body control, the footwork, the way that he changes speeds, you know, slows and accelerates, and all the different things that he does. When you watch him on tape, whether it's his high school tape, whether it's the Minnesota practice tape that he put out, you know, mm. and, and you kind of see him and everything. You see that he he is a a really good route runner who excels at getting open, and if he can be the number one wide receiver in this group, that changes this group a lot. If he becomes a legitimate wide, yeah. not just a guy who's wide receiver one because you have to have one, but a guy who's legitimately people look at him and they're like, well, you know, Jalen Daniels throwing to Douglas Emilian is tough to stop, and I think L.J. Arnold has wide receiver one potential. But I also think, you know, when we when we rank guys, you know, like right, you, myself, and, and Ryan Wallace over at Go Powercat, we talk a lot about our ranking process. And, and one of the things that we talk about a lot is we don't just look at a guy's ceiling; we look at how likely he is to get there as well. And there are a lot of different factors in that. L.J. Arnold's six three with a twenty two and a half foot long jump, like he's. He's big. He's athletic. You know, he has those different things. And so you really want to see him take that next step where he's not just somebody that looks good coming off the bus that, you know, runs around really well out there, but somebody that on third and seven people fear. And, and mm -hmm. I think that that's the step that, that he needs to take. And he had some good moments last year. I mean, I don't know that they, that they win the South Dakota game without him and, and the way he played that. And, and I think that when you look at him this year, that's the step forward you want to see from him, even if he's not wide receiver one, but he becomes that guy that he has the potential to become. Uh, I think that makes this room a lot better too. And then after that, you know, Trevor Wilson can really run as one of the fastest guys in the program. You know, Luke Grimm, you know, I think Kansas recruited him initially as a safety and then flopped him to receiver. And and one of the things that we always kind of talked about was this guy's going to play early because you're going to have to play him, not because you don't have other guys, but because he's going to be too good. Like you're not yeah. going to be able to, you're not going to be able to leave him on the sidelines. Even if you look over and you're like, man, this, this guy doesn't look as good physically as some of our other guys. 
when it get when it comes down to it, you know, he gets open and catches the ball. And, and so you've got that. And I know, you know, you have a different wide receivers coach. I also know Emmett Jones from talking to him when he was at Kansas was high on the ability of Stephen McBride. Mm. He was high on the ability of Tanaka Scott and Keelan Robinson. And so McBride is going to play. He's going to be in that rotation. But I think that something that will also be interesting to watch is Tanaka Scott is now, I think, 205 pounds at 6'4". You know, can he be a downfield threat? Somebody that if you get one-on-one coverage, you feel good throwing it up to him. You know, Keelan Robinson was more polished than Tanaka Scott was coming out. Can he break into sort of that top group? And, And things like that could help this group out a little bit too. Definitely. So to wrap up here, Kevin has the running backs, quarterback, the tight ends, and defensive end, and then the cornerback group. And I have the wide receivers, offensive line, defensive tackle, and linebackers and safeties. I feel pretty good about my group. I like my group too. I got to pick first though. So it's like, I I should feel good about my group. Otherwise, (laughs) you know, I, I screwed this whole thing up, but yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So for you then let's talk about some expectations before we get out of here real quick Sure. for you. What should the expectations be? Because for me, I think you look at this transfer class and I think it helps you close the gap in terms of competitiveness. Does this get you over the hump to winning multiple big 12 games for the first time in over a decade? I don't think so. I think you're still looking at this roster being in a place where can it be competitive in a lot of games? Yes. Is it good enough to get over the hump and beat some of these big 12 teams? I just am not 100% sure yet. I think for me, when I look at the win total this year, I think it's set at two and a half. I I do kind of like the over. I I think three wins is probably where this team ends up. But I think any talk of five, six plus wins, I think is out of pocket. For you, like range of outcomes, expectations, where should those be for fans this fall, you know, in terms of just you being realistic? Top half of the bit. No, just um, the, 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 so here's my thing. Like I, I want to give you a direct win answer, but I really think it depends on September because Kansas has Tennessee tech and you've got Duke, which are two very winnable games. Like I'm not saying Kansas should beat Duke because I think we can safely say over the last 12 years, you can't really point to a single game and say Kansas should win that game. But, but I do think that there's a very real possibility that Kansas could be favored in that game or will be favored in that game, especially with Duke, you know, new coaching staff, all of those different things. And so when you look at, at those two and you look at the game at West Virginia, now West Virginia is, if you take Kansas out of the equation, West Virginia would be my pick to finish last in the Big 12. And I get that it's at West Virginia. I think that we can sit here and say, yes, it was one game, and you hate to draw conclusions off of one game. Kansas played with West Virginia pretty well in the season finale. Kansas had no running backs for that game pretty much. Devin Neal did not play. And I think that even though West Virginia went and got JT Daniels this offseason, I think you could pretty easily make the argument that Kansas improved its roster more this offseason than West Virginia did from where they were at in November. And so when you look at that, 
I see the possibility of three and one. At that point, I think it would be disappointing if you went three and nine. I, I agree with you. I do like the over. I think that if you come out of September two and two, like we all, you know, like most people probably expect or, or Kansas yeah. people probably expect, I, I think it's fair to say that it could be three and nine. But I do think if you come out of September at three and one, where you already have a win in your only Big 12 game so far, I think four is on the table. I, I really do. You know, whether that whether that comes against an Iowa State team that's, you know, has a lot of really good young talent. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think not a lot of people realize that. No. Iowa State is going to be significantly better, I think, in November than it is in early October. Um whether you have a chance to do it against, say, like Texas Tech, new coaching staff, you know, they've got a three-way quarterback battle right now, you know, which different things can happen. TCU, nobody really knows because of the way last year ended and, and all of those different things. Another place where you have a legitimate quarterback battle. And so I'm not saying Kansas is going to be favored in any of those games. I'm just saying if Kansas comes out of September 3-1, and one, with the confidence that would yes. come with going three and one, I I think you can make a case that, that Kansas is going to be in play for, for four wins at that point. Yeah. And talking to some program sources, it sounds like that not necessarily the wins, but can you have that confidence and belief coming out of September? Because that schedule is so hard on the back half. It is sure. so hard. You play Baylor, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma state, all within kind of a very condensed stretch where I think in reality, I think if you're KU, you almost want some of those games early in the season because you can kind of take your lumps and this staff has shown that they will improve over the course of a year. But to have those in kind of the crunch time part of the season is tough. I look at the West Virginia game being that litmus test for this season. Sure, I agree. I think, you know, we talked to Shayon J. Raja uh, last week and he talked about West Virginia and the fact that they played two rivalry games. KU sandwiched right in between those two. So if all of a sudden, if Neil Brown and those in the West Virginia team loses the first game of the season against Pitt on that Thursday, are they down? And then do they think, okay, well, we can just go beat Kansas, you know, or are they coming in like, no, we have to go in and just blow out Kansas. Like what mentality do they come into that game with? And so I look at that game being a big barometer, but I look at the schedule. You're paying, yeah. you're playing 11 power five teams. That's the reality of what you're doing, sure. right? Tennessee tech is the only non power five team you're playing. Houston is a power five team. They play in the AAC, but that roster power five, they're going sure. to be in the power five. What is it next season? Like, so overall, I think you're looking at this schedule it does not do any KU any favors. I think that for me, I will measure success this season on the competitiveness. Can sure. you put Same. a competitive product on the field, nine out of the 12 games. That will be how I measure success, not the wins, because I think this roster is still in a place where it has these transfers now, but it's just not a place where I think it's going to be competitive or uh, good enough to get the wins. Be good enough to be competitive, but maybe not get the wins. So, Kevin, I'll give you the last word. Any final thoughts on KU before we get out of here? No, I, I actually thought that was a great way to describe it. You know, I think that when we look back at year one, the, the Texas game is what everybody brings up, especially from like a national perspective. And sure. everything. But I think that 
you know, when you look at it from a Kansas perspective, it probably started earlier than that. You know, you saw flashes in the Oklahoma game. You know, the Texas game was, was impressive in, in the way that that went. Kansas was up at halftime against Duke, you know, and just didn't have the depth. But I also think, too, you know, they were still putting in half a playbook, you know, at, at yeah. that point because they hadn't been there for the spring. And so when you look at, at the jump potentially from, from year one to year two, guys knowing where they're going, them not having to put in systems on the fly while also trying to, you know, trying to decide, hey, can this guy even play at this level? You know, you're deciding personnel stuff at the same time as scheme and, and, and trying to adjust and all those. And so when you add all of that together and the way that they close the game or close the year, I do think that competitiveness – is going to be what what we look at and it's it's funny because it it's not improvement isn't linear you know you don't just it's automatically you're at this point and so you're going to take a step up and you're going to take a step up and in Mangino's second year Kansas went six and six and then went to the Tangerine Bowl and lost it they were probably a better team in 2004 and went four and seven. You know, they had a, a top 10 defense, I think, nationally. Um, they played a lot of close games, but the close games didn't come out their way. And, yeah. and so you slump back and, and, you know, wind up only winning four games. Remember, that was the game where they, they lose to Texas in the final 30 seconds when Texas had Vince Young and went on to win a BCS game. And, and so when, when you look at when you look at, at all of that, I think it's very easy for people to look at it and say, okay, like Kansas was close last year, just turn those close losses into wins. The reality is that it's a little more incremental than that. And, and that sometimes, you know, it, it doesn't work out quite that way where you're going from close games to close wins. Sometimes it, it goes the opposite where maybe, maybe you've got a, a you know, more close games next year, but, but they go against you. But I do think that you look at the competitiveness, look at the competitiveness specifically, and you referenced this earlier, against the teams in the Big 12 that Kansas is going to need to compete with to be a top half of the Big 12 yes. program. And, and not just this year, but going forward. And, and so look at, at where they're at. Kansas doesn't need necessarily if you think Baylor is the best team in the Big 12 this year and and Baylor was the favorite in the media poll it's not that Kansas needs to be play Baylor and lose 21 to 17 but how's Kansas playing against Texas Tech that's starting over with the new coaching staff how's Kansas doing against Iowa State which is in a transition year as some of those younger guys kind of get up to speed. How's Kansas doing against West Virginia, against TCU? How's Kansas doing against Kansas State? Because I think we've seen, you know, over the course of that rivalry, it's not that they've never both been good at the same time, but it's they're almost never consistently good yeah. at the same time. And so if Kansas takes a big step against Kansas State and, you know, makes the Wildcats sweat that game out in Manhattan. It might be another loss where you say, oh my gosh, you know, they're adding to the streak, you know, et cetera. But it might also be the sort of thing where you come away and you say, okay, that maybe the gap's shrinking a little bit, yeah. uh, a little bit at the same time. Perfect. That's great. We'd wrap it up, Kevin. Thanks a bunch for jumping on the podcast. Excited to do more of these this fall with you. 
for anyone looking to read Kevin's stuff, you can do it on 247sports.com and all over a lot of the Big 12 pages. Kevin does a lot of work with the Big 12 as well. And as always, if you enjoyed listening to the Fog.net podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. If you're watching this on YouTube, we have the podcast on Apple, Spotify. And if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, or any one of those platforms, check out our YouTube channel as well. Um, it's called The Fog, Kansas basketball and football coverage. Thanks a, bu- thanks a bunch, Kevin, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot, Mike.